Well, before we sing the covenant song and then officially receive new members into the body of Christ here at Grace Fellowship Church, we want to go to the Word of God to be reminded of some responsibilities that we have one to another. And so if you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. You'll hear pastors say often, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and then you'll hear us say again about another passage of Scripture, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and we'll say that time and time again, Um, but it's kind of like having best friends. Well, is it just one? No, I've got a multitude of best friends, we might say at times. There are a multitude of favorite passages of Scripture, and this is one of them in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. So follow along as I read Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. God created man, male and female, to be in relationship, not isolation. Relationship with God Himself and relationship with one another. Before sin entered into the world, those relationships were in harmony, characterized by peace and love in the garden. Adam and Eve together with perfect peace and harmony and love. We see that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But then sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, through their disobedience. And a change in relationships occurred, a change from peace to strife. Sin brought enmity, hostility, and hatred. Sin brought enmity in our relationship with God. And sin brought enmity in our relationships with one another, in the husband-wife relationship, in families and beyond. This was part of the curse and consequence of sin. We quickly see enmity, hostility, and hatred in Genesis chapter 4, after the fall of Ban in chapter 3, where we have in chapter 4 the record of Cain killing his brother Abel. And this becomes the normal course of fallen sinful humanity, enmity, hostility, and hatred in relationships. But for those who are in Christ... There is another change in relationships that occurs. When we are saved, we are changed from those who hate 
to those who love. We now love God. Once in enmity with God, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to God. We are no longer haters of God, but lovers of God. And there is a change on the horizontal level in relationships to others. Having been characterized by what Titus 3, verse 3 says, malice, envy, hateful, hating one another, or 2 Timothy chapter 3 speaks of being lovers of self, boastful, arrogant, revilers, those who are irreconcilable, using our tongues as malicious gossips to destroy relationships. Having been characterized by those things, we now are those who are characterized by love. 1 John 4 verse 7 says, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That love is manifested on the horizontal level through and in many relationships, but especially in our relationships with one another as believers. 1 John 5 verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. He speaks of it in terms of, of fact. It's not that they should Although John speaks of it in that term that we should, we must, we ought, we're commanded to love one another. But he also speaks of it in terms of it being a fact that having been born of God, now being reconciled to God, it will be the characteristic of our lives that we love the child born of him, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when we come to faith in Christ, One of the areas of our lives in which there is a noticeable change is in this area of relationships. Just as the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden quickly manifested itself in relationships, so salvation should quickly manifest itself by our relationships. Being born again, made alive in Christ, coming to Christ by faith, bowing the knee to His Lordship, will affect our relationships with one another. The focus of the unbeliever is himself. himself. The center of the universe is himself. As unbelievers, others exist for our own pleasure. But now as believers, we know that others exist for the glory of God. And therefore, our relationships change. There's a fundamental relation, change of relationships, first with God and then with others. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 bears this out. It says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And what is the root of that love? for one another in the body of Christ. He says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. You've been born again through this imperishable seed of the Gospel. This seed that when it is sown in the heart of the sinner, it does not die. It does not fail. It's an imperishable seed that brings life And it brings life in our relationship to God. And then it bears the fruit of love in our relationships with one another. 
So again, when we come to Christ by faith, one of the areas of our lives where there is a noticeable change is in the area of relationships. And this is what we see in Colossians chapter 3. Now first, I read verses 12 to 17, but first notice the contrast. Earlier in the chapter, he speaks of what we would call the deeds of the flesh. Those sins that destroy relationships, that should not characterize us, that once dominated our lives and dominated our relationships. And so back in verse 5, he says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to, and notice that these sins are in relationship to others, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And then in verse 8, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So he is saying, notice the contrast here, that these are things that once dominated your life, but now you're a new creature in Christ. These things are to be laid aside. They're to be put aside. These old garments are to be shed from your life, and now you're to put on new garments. You're to put on the things he now mentions in verses 12 through 17. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, putting on love, letting the peace of Christ rule your relationships, letting the word of Christ dwell richly among you, using your your tongues now to sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs to one another to build them up, having a heart of thankfulness, not only toward God, but in relationships to one another. So you see the contrast here from what we really once were dominated with, and yes, still can is present, we're still sinners, but yet now we can put those things off and put on what should characterize our relationships now that we are in Christ. So notice here the put off, put on language. It's very important. More literally, this put off and put on language is that of putting off or taking off certain garments and now clothing yourselves, putting on certain garments. The Bible often uses this picture or analogy of clothes or clothing ourselves. For example, 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Or Romans 13 verse 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or again, the words put on could be translated, clothe yourselves as it is in some translations, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in Colossians 3.12, it says, put on a heart of compassion. It means clothe yourself with these things. Let this be the garment or the garments of the Christian and the Christian life in relationship to one another. And so there are certain clothes, figuratively speaking, that we should Take off and cast aside, lay aside. These were the clothes you used to wear when you were spiritually dead, blinded by Satan and that enmity with God. Again, those are mentioned 
in verse 5 and following. But now we're to put on these spiritual clothes, these spiritual garments that should be characteristic of of Christians in our relationships with one another. So what spiritual and relational clothing are you wearing, so to speak? Are they the garments of verses 5 and following through verse 11? Or are they the garments described beginning in verse 12? This evening, I want to stir us up to make sure we have on the garments of, that are described beginning in verse 12. I want you to notice the corporate nature of this passage as we kind of look at it. We're not going to go through in great detail these verses, but just preparing for receiving new members to remind us of what should characterize our relationships. Notice, though, the corporate nature of this passage. While we tend to take these verses uh, in the passage like this is given to the individual. It really can't be applied apart from our relationships. We can't put on compassion unless we're in relationship with one another. But especially as you get down to verse 15 and 16 and 17, we tend to interpret those verses as something applied to the individual Christian. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. But notice the corporate nature of it. To which indeed you were called in one body. So this has ramifications for our relationships, not just us as an individual Christian. The word of Christ is to richly dwell within you, but not that it would just be within you, but then it would manifest itself in relationships as you, with all wisdom, teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so this is a corporate passage, not simply to be taken as to the individual Christian. And so as we receive members here at Grace this evening, we need to examine our garments, our clothing. What kind of clothing do you have on this evening? Do you have on the clothing of peace or conflict? Selfishness or unselfishness? Unforgiveness or forgiveness? Impatience or patience? What does the condition of your relationships Reveal about your spiritual condition. Are you quick to forgive? Do you return good for evil or evil for evil? Does this describe your relationships with others in the body of Christ? If you're clothed in Christ, and now you're seeking to practically live out what it means to be clothed with Christ, then it will look like what's described in verses 12 to 17. So let me give you an outline. Three points. First, we see in verse 12 the appeal. The appeal of the Apostle Paul. I'm actually going to talk about that last, but it's first in order here, the verses. And then we see the commands. There are three specific commands in verses 12 to 16. And then verse 17 is the summary. It it sums it all up. There's kind of a summary in verse 14, but then there's a summary of it all in verse 17. But first, look at the commands that we see in verses 12 to 16. There are three words in the Greek text that are in the form of a command. They're translated put on in verse 12. Let peace rule in verse 15. And let the word dwell in verse 16. And so there are three commands. We could say it like this. The first command is be like Christ. 
Put on Christ. For these are things that are characteristic of Christ. The second would be, let the peace of Christ rule. And we'll speak of that in more detail in a moment. And then the third one is, let the word of Christ dwell. Let it dwell richly within you and among you. First, consider the command, be like Christ or put on Christ. Again, put on these things. Clothe yourselves with these graces of God in the life of the believer. This is how you should look. And these words really describe our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're to really be like Christ. This is a portrait of our great Savior. The first thing we're to put on, it says, is a heart of compassion. Or as the King James says, bowels of mercy. There are two words in the Greek. The first word comes from a word you've heard me say often, splachna, which has to do with the bowels. Literally, it refers to uh, the intestines. And so, compassion, often we associate with our hearts, but in the Hebrew uh, culture, they would associate it with their bowels. And we, we understand this too, because sometimes when you see something that uh, brings compassion, you, you hurt. And we talk about it's a gut feeling that we have. But then there's this other word that has to do with sympathy, and it's put together. We're to have a heart of compassion, sympathetic compassion. And this characterized the Lord Jesus. Pastor Devon recently in our prayer meeting talked about this compassion of Christ in Matthew chapter 9. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And it's not just on that occasion, but Matthew 14, 14. He saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Matthew 15, verse 32. He called his disciples to himself and said, I feel compassion for the people. For they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. He cared for their sicknesses. He cared for their, even their hunger, their physical needs. But he cared for their spiritual condition. And this moved him. This characterized our Savior. And we know the compassion of Christ. For indeed, we are the recipients of that heartfelt compassion, genuine love of Christ for us that is at the root of our salvation. And so this is the soul that is deeply moved by the, the plight of others and then in relationship to others seeks their good. We're to put on a heart of compassion. But then he says kindness. This is a disposition that is kind and gentle and generous. This word kindness is found in Galatians 5, 22. One of the fruits of the Spirit. It's an attribute of God. He is a God who is kind. It's translated in the Septuagint. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Psalm 31, verse 19, of, of goodness. How great is your goodness, it says. Pastor Sean read from Ephesians chapter 2. And it says in Ephesians 2, verse 7, he saved us. Why? That in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness. There's the word. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And we are those, according to Peter, who have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And therefore, as those who have received this kindness from God, we should put on and clothe ourselves with the kindness of Christ 
in our relationship with one another. But then there's the word humility. We're to put on humility. Humility is something that every Christian is familiar with. For we were humbled when we came to Christ. We saw our sin, convicted and broken over our sin. We were humbled before God, knowing there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. And now as those who have come humbly to the Savior, that is to characterize us, this attitude of lowliness, seeing ourselves properly, not being prideful and self-centered, but instead we're to be humble, putting the interest of others before our own relinquishing our so-called rights, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than ourselves, not merely looking out for our own personal interests, but for the interests of others, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Of course, we see the humility of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. And He humbled Himself He emptied himself. He became a man in the incarnation. This humility of Christ now should characterize us. We should have this same attitude. And it should characterize our relationships. And then it says in Colossians 3.12, put on gentleness. This is the outworking of humility. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. We're to put on gentleness. This is the opposite of harshness and abrasiveness or being domineering, belittling others. It's the opposite of insensitivity and selfishness that demands and defends our own perceived rights, being unbending. No, this is someone who is mild and gentle, gracious, caring, self-sacrificing, forgiving, instead of bitter and vengeful. This is a person who, in relationships, is like the Lord Jesus, who said, I am gentle and humble in heart. We're to put on gentleness, the gentleness of Christ in our relationships. So he says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and then patience. Patience, being long-suffering. Long-suffering, having a long fuse you might say. Enduring wrongs, putting up with exasperating conduct of others without responding in anger and desiring revenge. No, we're, we're patient because think of the patience of Christ toward us. And therefore, as a result of that, we're to bear with one another, it says in Colossians 3. Bear, bearing with one another, putting up with one another, tolerating one another. Again, to endure patiently. I think of the Lord Jesus. He was so patient with and, and He bore patiently the, sometimes the ignorance and difficulties of His own disciples as He walked this earth. When they would rebuke Him, the, Peter would say, no, you're, you're not going to go to Jerusalem. You're not going to die. May it never be. And, and He has to rebuke Peter. Peter, who then would deny him, but then he would gently and kindly restore him. We're to bear with one another, even as Christ does with us. And then he says, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. This means that we don't hold sins against the repentant offender. 
we choose not to bring up that offense in order to hurt the person. We're quick to forgive. We're ready to forgive. And he says, whoever has a complaint against anyone, it may be a legitimate complaint, but there's a forgiving spirit. And it reminds us, just as the Lord forgave you, always keep that at the forefront of your relationships. The Lord has forgiven you, so also should you. In Ephesians 4.32, he says it like this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. How often do we need to be reminded of all the sins we've been forgiven by Christ that that might then be applied to our relationships with others? And then he says in verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. In other words, love holds all these things together. It holds all these other Christ-like virtues together. It binds them together, ties them up together. So put on love, for Christ has loved you. And so here's what the clothing of the Christian should look like in our relationships. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and putting on love in our relationships. So put on Christ, clothe yourselves with Christ in your relationships with one another. But then the second command is, let the peace of Christ rule. That's in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, this is not a verse, as you've heard me say many times before, about having the peace of God in decision making. It's not about, oh, let the peace of God rule. I have a peace about this, and now I know what I'm supposed to do. That's not what it's referring to. When we look at the Bible, when it talks about peace, it talks about peace with God. And when we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus, we have the peace of God. And then that leads to having peace with others. There's vertical peace, peace with God, that then leads to personal peace, we might say, which then leads to corporate peace in relationships. This verse is talking about the practical effect that peace with God and the peace of God should have on your relationships with others. It could be translated this way. Instead of let the peace of Christ rule in you or within you, it could be translated that preposition among you. And I think that really is the idea here because it says, to which indeed you were called in one body. It's not talking about a personal peace. It's talking about a peace that again rules our hearts and our relationships. The word rule here means uh, to judge or to umpire. Uh, it's the idea of something, someone providing a, excuse me, presiding over something. And so therefore, as to direct something and control something. So the peace of Christ... The peace that you have with Christ and in Christ should rule, should direct, control, rule your relationships. In other words, we don't ever relate to one another somehow outside of the fact that we have peace with God. We have the peace of Christ. We always relate to one another with the reality that 
we have been forgiven by Christ. This other person has been forgiven by Christ. We have the peace of Christ. And now that should preside over our relationships. It should direct and control our relationships. He's reminding them, let your salvation always be at the forefront of your mind in relationships. You need to be reminded, this is another believer who also is the peace of Christ. They've been reconciled to God. And now that should dictate how I relate to them. Let the peace that we have, the peace of Christ being reconciled to God, dictate how we treat one another. For indeed, we've been called into one body. We are together, the one body of Christ. And so he says, and be thankful. It's not just a command in general to be thankful, but in our relationships, this should rule our relationships. A heart of thankfulness, not complaining, not a critical spirit. So let the peace of Christ, the peace that we have in and through Christ, rule and dictate and control our relationships in the body of Christ. And then he says in verse 16, the third command here is, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Or again, it could be translated among you. Because this is a corporate command. Because now we're speaking to one another. We're, we're teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing together with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So here the command is, let the word of Christ dwell within and among you. Let the word about Christ, the gospel, the good news, let that richly dwell among you. Let it take up residence among you and in you. So as a believer, as the word of Christ, this gospel dwells within us and now directs our lives. It also should dwell among us. The gospel always central in our relationships. And it should do so richly, abundantly. It's the idea of the word about Christ, the gospel, should be permeating and saturating everything about us. It should govern every area of our lives. And here again, talking about our relationships. The Word of Christ, the Gospel, permeating our relationships. It should dwell among us. So here's some of the questions we should ask in our relationships as we're seeking to be clothed with Christ in our relationships. What would the peace of Christ dictate in this situation or this relationship? The peace that we have with God through Christ, should now dictate our relationships. It should rule and control. So what would the peace that, of Christ that we have, what would it dictate now in our actions, in our relationships toward one another? And what would the word about Christ require in our relationships? If it's going to richly dwell among us, if it's going to permeate our relationships, what does this word of, of Christ, this word about Christ, the gospel, what does it require in our relationships? A major cause of strife in relationships at home and in the church is disobedience and disregard for really the gospel. We've now forgotten the gospel. But when the peace of Christ, the peace that we have through Christ and from Christ rules our relationships and the word of Christ dwells among us, 
this gospel dwelling, it now bears the fruit of peace in relationships. And he describes it this way. One of the ways it now bears fruit is with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. doesn't mean there's no admonishment and correction. No, there is in these relationships. Christ corrected. He corrected His own disciples. He loved dearly. He admonished them at times. But we do so with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's one of the ways that this peace of Christ rules among us and this word about Christ richly dwells among us through our singing together with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So again, these are the commands that are given to us. But then he summarizes it all. And again, this isn't simply for the individual Christian. This is for us corporately together. Whatever you do, plural, as the body of Christ, not just as an individual Christian, what we do in word or in deed, how we speak to one another, what we do, how we behave in our relationships, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do as He would do. Do that which is consistent with His character. For you are to be clothed with Christ. And again, always giving thanks through Him to God the Father. A reminder again of the Gospel. We are those who can now give thanks through Him because we've been reconciled through Him to God the Father. And so he summarizes it in that way. But now go back to what I've called the appeal in verse 12. The basis for the commands and the summary here is found in this appeal. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Those are precious words. And he appeals to them to do these things based on the fact that we are those who've been threefold. Chosen of God, holy and beloved. Chosen, those who have been called by God, the elect of God. And again, we think of this individually often. Oh, I've been chosen of God before the foundation of the world. And we should think of it in that way. But 1 Peter 2.9 says, you, plural, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So he appeals to them, don't don't forget, yes, you've been chosen of God, but you all have been chosen of God to be a part of this one body. And he says, you are holy. As those who are holy, you've been consecrated, set apart. Paul here is speaking of our standing before God. We're not actually holy in our practice. We're still sinners who fall short of the glory of God. But we are now called holy ones, saints, because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to our account. And you are therefore holy. And the church is holy. Yes, he is practically making his bride holy in sanctification, but positionally we are a holy bride. And then he describes the church as beloved. Loved of God. The recipients of God's unmerited love. So Paul appeals to them on the basis of the grace of God toward them in Christ. You are, not only individually, but you all are, remember this, chosen, holy, and beloved. 
You didn't choose yourself. You didn't make yourself holy. You didn't do anything to cause God to love you. God chose you. And He declared you holy. He set His love upon you. You're saved by grace alone. And these three words remind us that we do not save ourselves. We are the recipients of the manifold grace of God. What effect should this have on the believer? It kills pride, produces humility, and then that should be extended not only in our relationship to God, but this humility toward one another. For humility is essential in the body of Christ if we're going to live in harmony with one another. And so by using these three terms, he emphasizes our identification and union with Christ. Jesus is the one chosen of God, according to Luke 9, verse 35. He is called my chosen one. He is the holy one of God, the scripture says. And he is the one who is the beloved son. So here again, he reminds them and he appeals to them based on the fact of God's unmerited favor that they are in Christ who himself was chosen of God, holy and beloved. Let this be the basis for your relationships. Be reminded of this when there are irritants in the body of Christ, things that would be a, be a cause for conflict. And, and now we're beginning to let sin rise up among us, be reminded that we are those who are chosen of God, holy and beloved. Christ has so loved us. God has so loved us in Christ. And we are the recipients of compassion and kindness and the gentleness of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ. Let, therefore, that peace we have from Christ rule in our hearts and among our hearts together in this one body. Let this word about Christ, the gospel, richly dwell within you, among you, and dictate all of your relationships. And so this evening, as we receive members, I'll share some things about those who are being united with this body tonight. Some things so you get to know a few things about them. But never forget, this is the most important thing. They have been united with Christ by faith. They are the recipients of God's mercy. So as you see these souls that will come forward tonight, in the future, should there be a complaint against one another, should there be sin, remember, they've been forgiven by grace. God has forgiven them. So you be quick to forgive them. You put on a heart of compassion toward them and they to you. In kindness, in love, in patience, and gentleness. Let this dictate our relationships and rule our relationships. Let the gospel richly dwell among us at Grace Fellowship Church. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we are aware of our sinfulness, for we need to be reminded of these things. We are sinners still who are selfish and self-centered, and Lord, still at times see others 
for our own benefit and how they are to serve us rather than how we are to serve others. So I pray as we receive members this evening that we would be thinking of the gospel and the great love that we have been shown in Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, for that is what has brought us together here. There are some things we may have in common, some birthplaces that we share, maybe some months of our birthdays that we have in common, or maybe exact days. But those are not the things that bring us together. It is the fact that we have the peace of Christ. It is that we've been reconciled to you through the blood of Christ. I pray that these things would dictate our relationships with one another for your glory in this one body for which we are very thankful. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.